This is the ATM at the Minute Podcast, episode 164. Maverick here with Jackson Stover. <laughs> How you doing today? You ready for this show? Oh man, I uh I've been better. You know, got a little flu game pod, stomach bug pod, something going on. Uh see if we can make it through the whole thing clean. But guessing you saw the new Top Gun, eh? No, I just was taking advantage of my name uh, be, oh, being the wow. same as Tom Cruise in the film. So you should go see it, though. But to the pod, we'll get there at the end. I wanted to ask you about it. All right. But today we're talking a little NBA finals, keeping it brief at the top, just checking in on it. And then we're going to play NBA under the knife again on the Jazz Spurs and Kings. And then we got some rapid fire notes at the end. Should be a shorter one for you guys. So let's get right to it. Okay, Jackson, we're two games into the NBA Finals. I've loved what I've seen thus far. The product yep. is delivering despite a huge game two blowout. Um, is it everything you've wanted it to be thus far? Has your opinion changed? I think we both had Warriors in seven. Let's start here. How do you feel yeah, about my, that? My opinion has not changed. Uh, it's been a pretty entertaining final so far. I was a little bit skeptical based on how the playoffs have gone up until this point, but I think it's still going to go seven. I still like the Warriors, and I think they figured a lot of things out in game two. And honestly, I think getting punched in the mouth like they did in the fourth quarter of game one might have been the best thing that could have happened to them because the energy they came out with in game two and specifically Draymond. I mean, when they're playing like that at home and shots are falling for Steph, good luck. That's just tough to be. So, yeah, I feel good about the Warriors still. Like him in seven, not changing my pick. You rocking with yours still too? I think I'm going to for sure. I haven't seen enough. And yeah, Draymond comes out. Obviously, he's the emotional leader of this team. Set the tone for them. He's playing as crazy as he ever has, maybe. Just (laughs) borderline dirty, trying to get kicked out of the game. But that gets everyone rallied uh, to give their best effort on the defensive end, which they needed to do. The shots are going to fall most likely when you got shooters like they do. Um, I want to ask you, though, Boston came back that huge fourth quarter in game one. Do you think that was just an anomaly on Golden State's part? Just a poor effort? Or is that something from Boston that we might see uh, back in Boston for games three and four? So I actually think that um, it was an anomaly, yes, but I think a lot of it was Yudoka just outcoached Steve Kerr there in the fourth quarter. And the thing that I'm looking at the most that's going to determine this series is how Boston guards Steph Curry on the pick and roll. So to start game one, they were dropping everything and Steph gets going crazy. They're giving him all this space. It was too easy. And kind of crazy to me to play drop coverage on Steph Curry. But yeah, agreed. And I kind of see what they were trying to do. And they've made a lot of good adjustments and still dropping a little bit on some stuff, but not as much. And throughout the game, Yudoka really started to adjust and they kind of started blitzing Steph a little bit when they uh, they went big, when they had Horford and Rob Williams out there. And And then they went with some switches when it was just one big out there and they started to mix it up. They didn't stay and drop. And then in that fourth quarter, I think that they kind of found the recipe to stop the loony screens. And even in game two to start the game, it looked like they'd kind of figured it out. When Looney came to screen, if they had two bigs out there, they were really going to kind of 
not necessarily blitz him, but at least step out and hedge toward him and then recover. But I think the biggest thing here is just looking at the half court and the way that the screen game is going to be because it's a constant adjustment game. And it looked like in the second half, Steve Kerr realized they had figured out how to pretty much stop the Looney screens. I mean, it was really both guys just focus on Steph. Looney's going to get a couple buckets, but if you can stop Steph, then that's the main thing. And so as the game went on, it looked like Golden State kind of figured it out. And instead of screening with Looney, they started screening with other guys and Boston just couldn't piece it together. So Steve Kerr got the better of Udoka in game two. And I think that's what I'm watching. So game one, I think it was a little bit of anomaly in the fourth quarter, but it was really Udoka just out coaching Steve Kerr and figuring out how to stop that Steph Curry pick and roll because that's the only way they're generating offense in the half court. I mean, all of their buckets are coming in transition and the wide open Steph threes for the most part are coming in transition as well. So, and I, yeah, and I think you have to be careful blitzing Steph nonstop because when you have an outlet like Draymond and all these guys like Wiggins, Looney, etc., who can cut and finish plays. I mean, that's the that's a beauty of the Warriors. I mean, when Bielitsa comes in, he's cutting at the basket and getting easy buckets. Uh, so you, you got to be careful with that. And then I guess on the game two front, it would be crazy to call the Warriors third quarter an anomaly because that's what they've been doing for years. Yeah, that's now. just them. That's just them. The shot making, it was a stretch. It was back to back threes from Steph, I believe. He pulled up uh, from the right corner, probably 10 feet behind the arc, buries it. I was jumping out of my seat. I mean, I'm rooting for the Warriors he here. Crazy like, shots. I am too, honestly. <laughs> I I just don't love watching Boston. I think they're probably the best defensive team in the league and definitely the best in the half court. But I just don't love watching their brand of basketball. I'd much rather watch Steph going crazy off ball, hitting these shots, and Jordan Poole hitting stupid fadeaway threes. Like, I just have more fun watching them. Yeah, and then Poole, right after those Steph plays, Poole has that uh, hezzy crossover, drives uh, right to the baseline, wraparound pass to Kevon Looney. And then, of course, he has the in and out and the in and out half court shot at the buzzer. It was insane, man. <laughs> that was one of the one of the crazier finals moments I can recall in the last few years. They said it was the longest three in finals history, right? I did not hear that, but. I believe it. I mean, it was pretty much half court and he drained it. And I think that was maybe the most exciting moment of the playoffs so far. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, at least just implications. The fact that it's in a finals game, it was at home, how loud the crowd yeah. was. It was at the buzzer of a half. I was hyped up, man. When he had that shot, I was like, yep, Warriors in seven. <laughs> I mean, some of those Boston Milwaukee games, I mean, you got the Trey young, that's true. Uh, game winner against Miami. It's been a good playoffs outside of the conference finals, but yeah, I'm sticking with the Warriors. Been enjoying the show thus far. I think Boston could come away with both of these back home. I think uh, they'll get game three. Not so, sure man. about game four. I think the Warriors get one of the two. I couldn't tell you which one, but I do not see them going down 3-1. And even if they do go down 3-1, don't count them out. Yeah, I don't think they'll have that kind of explosion in the TD Garden, though. That's kind of what I'm getting at. 
Yeah, I agree for the most part, but I don't know, man. I think the Warriors are going to continue to go smaller and smaller. I think we're going to see more Bielitsa. We're going to see a lot of Gary Payton II as he's feeling better. And playing and, good minutes. Mm-hmm, I think with him back, it lets Golden State have the defenders to be able to go small and not just get manhandled by Horford and Rob Williams if Boston goes big. And like I said before the series, I think it's going to be a matter of if Boston makes Golden State play big or if Golden State makes Boston play small. And I think if Boston has to go small, they're in trouble. All right, let's go to NBA Under the Knife. We debuted this segment last week. If you didn't catch it, we're looking at three teams and we are taking them under the knife, figuring out how to improve the roster if we were the GM. And the first team we're starting with this week is the Utah Jazz. If you hadn't heard, Quinn Snyder, longtime coach, second winningest coach in Jazz history to Jerry Sloan. He stepped down. Woj reports Donovan Mitchell is disgruntled. And then there's been Rudy Gobert trade rumors for a while now. Uh, so with that backdrop, Jackson, what are you doing with this team this offseason? Well, I think Quinn Snyder stepping down is a pretty big indication that a fire sale is coming. I mean, we saw the Donovan Mitchell comments about how he was unsettled and unnerved by the direction of the franchise. Now, I'm sure there's a chance that they think they can flip Mitchell, maybe even flip Gobert as well, and kind of retool and get some pieces back where they can win now. But when you look at the Western Conference and you look at what they've done the last five seasons, to expect with a new coach and just moving some pieces around, whether it is your stars or even guys around the edges, I don't think it's realistic to anticipate even having a shot at the finals for the next few seasons. So if I'm the Jazz, I'm looking at our roster, and I think we've got a lot of quality assets, and I think it's time to move on from a lot of them and get back whatever draft picks or young guys we can. They're also way into the luxury tax. Like, I'm talking 30-plus million, so... They're going to be paying probably over a hundred million in a luxury tax bill next season. And then if you fifty-five on the books next year. Yeah, 30 mil over the cap. And then if you I mean, if you sign any draft picks or any mid-level exception or even veteran minimum guys, they're looking at being, you know, 40 plus mil over the cap and having a stupid luxury tax bill. So I think there's probably about a 70% chance Mitchell is gone. I think there's probably about Whoa. a 50-50, maybe 60-40 chance Gobert is gone as well. I just don't see them I'd flip keeping those them numbers. Both. I would I think flip. So. Yeah. Yeah. I disagree though, because I think the package that you're going to get back for Mitchell is astronomically bigger than what you're going to get for Gobert. I mean, when you look at Gobert's money, it is max money. The guy is getting over 40 mil a year for the next four years. And if I'm any team, I'm not willing to take that on let alone give yes. up assets he got for a, it. He got a super max money, I believe, because he made the All-NBA team a few years ago. Yeah, well, whatever it is, it's averaging over 40 mil a year, and it's too damn much. So if I'm any other NBA team, I don't see a way that you can go take on 40 mil of a center who might get played off the court in the playoffs and think you could still put together a roster that can win a championship. So for that, I give Donovan Mitchell a much higher chance of being moved now, today, I have seen some rumors that the Raptors are interested in Gobert, and apparently the Hawks are as well, and the Bulls. So I don't okay. know what those packages could look like, but you want to start there with Gobert? Yeah, so while I agree about the return for Mitchell being higher than Gobert, I think that's the wrong move for Utah, because if you are going to have a chance at contending 
probably going to be through a star like Donovan Mitchell and not Rudy Gobert. They built that defense around them. And I think the move uh, for Quinn Snyder was good because they folded this year. Like they kind of quit in the playoffs. It showed the body language. Absolutely quit. Yeah, the body language was terrible. So bringing in a new face in the locker room to lead the team, I think really would help. They definitely need to shake things up because their perimeter defense was terrible. And I have one move for you that I heard the other day that I think could make sense for them. That is sending Rudy Gobert to Atlanta, who, right, is one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They can't really switch when they have Trey Young as you know, their point of attack guy, someone they're trying to hide all game. If you could get a defensive anchor like Gobert and another guy who can rim run finish like Capella, that's a good pairing. I think it would do some things for the, it would show them up on defense. I don't know if their ceiling, you know, is going to be that high. Wait, let me make sure I heard that right. You said keep Capella. No, no, no. I said he could do some things like okay, he can okay. catch Trey's floater and finish like Capella does. So Agreed. I would I would send Capella to Utah, and then I wouldn't want to give up DeAndre Hunter, but I think that's a realistic package that would help Utah. Oh, Hunter, out. Hunter is not even in question there. They're not giving up any of those guys young of that quality for Gobert. No way in hell. I... I don't know. I think you have a lot of analytics-driven people in front offices around the NBA right now. You and I don't view Rudy Gobert the same way a lot of these quant types do in front offices. Like, I think there is a real chance he gets moved. Why would the Bulls be interested in in him? You know, we well, can you can we can disagree here. I mean, I don't know what the Bulls are offering back. The Bulls might have called him and like, hey, if y'all are looking to get off Rudy and he's at a discount, we'll throw you some, you know, whatever back. Like, I think it's all going to depend too on what the Jazz's stance is. If they clearly show, hey, like Oklahoma City a few years ago after the whole Westbrook Paul George debacle, it was like, oh my gosh. I mean, Jeremy Grant's even moving. Like, we've got a full on fire sale. So I think if we start to see some of those moves and it looks pretty clear that Utah's looking to get off them, they're not going to get these massive trade offers back. So I, I'm not sure that Gobert is even going to get you any first round picks or oh young guys God, you dude. can really build around. Maybe, maybe like, late 20s or teams that are good future picks but you're not fetching like a lottery pick this year for gobert no way i i totally disagree i do not wow At 40 am, mil a year for four i'm years. not i'm not a gobert guy i'm not debating that i'm debating his value around the league now i wouldn't make the deal but i think they might Interesting. I mean, maybe a few teams. I think most are going to be out on Gobert just because of the price tag, but obviously there's a few that have at least had some interest. One package that I came up with that seemed the most reasonable to me of the three teams would be Gobert for Gary Trent and Precious Achua. That's about as reasonable Hmm. as I could get. That was the best Gobert package I got. Okay. I like Achua. I like both of those guys quite a bit. I don't think I don't think it's too far off. I think the Raptors would say I don't I think the I think the Jazz would say no. 
I feel like both of them would kind of be like, ah, maybe, but either of us really winning here? I don't know. I think it's a fair package, and the only reason Utah would do it if they were just going to blow it all up and look to get a lot younger. Because you've got Trent and Achua that are both, I mean, early 20s. So I think that would be the primary motivation is just get younger, you know, acquire some assets and get what we can. Yeah. He, I mean, he is a star. He's all NBA or all defense. Star. I'm telling you, I don't love Rudy Gobert, but... He's going to demand a good trade package. That's that's for sure. Well, holy shit. How much do you think Donovan Mitchell's worth then if you think Gobert's worth that much? Oh, I think it's a little more than Rudy for sure. He's way younger. I think it's a ton more. <laughs> I, here's the thing. I'm going into this exercise. Donovan Mitchell is off the table. You're going to have to give me... What? A, you're going to have to give me a godfather offer. Do you have anything... You what have if any... he wants out? You're just going to tell him no? Well, I think him uh, going to the media and saying he's n- not happy is That's like just a saying, go trade, go, go bear to make the me hell happy. out of here. I don't know, man. I think both could be gone. I don't know. We'll it's see what possible. happens. I think a lot's going to depend on who they hire as the coach or maybe who they hire as the coach is going to tell us a lot about what they anticipate to do this next year. But... I think there's a good chance Mitchell's gone. And of course, I brought some trade packages because this one was a lot more fun to look at potential deals than Gobert. I had a hard time with that money. Before before you start giving them to me, you have to remember they hired Danny Ainge. I don't think Danny Ainge is looking to just blow it up and do the whole rebuild thing. They got a new owner. I don't know. It's a franchise. He did pretty that good with Boston compete. when he did that. He did pretty good. I mean, he got Tatum and Brown. That's true. I mean, maybe that is the reason he wanted to leave there. I don't know. but I have no idea, man. I'm just guesstimating based off what I've heard and what my gut says. I think some serious shakeup is coming in Utah. I think Quinn Snyder probably would have stuck around if not. But also heard a rumor that supposedly he might have got word that Pop is looking to finish after next season and he could be a likely replacement since he was with that organization for so long. So maybe Utah's not about to blow it up. Maybe they are going to run it back and Quinn Snyder just thinks that he's going to have a good shot at the Spurs job. So I don't know. But Donovan Mitchell trade packages here. I think it could be just about anything, but I'm assuming that the price tag is going to be a little bit discounted because he is unhappy. So take that into account here. First package, Donovan Mitchell for Emmanuel Quickly, Mitchell Robin, excuse me, Mitchell Robinson. He's a free agent. Sign and trade. Sign and trade, which matches the salary. You give him 15 to 20 mil and the salary adds up. Then you get Miles McBride, the number 11 pick, and a future first. Hmm. Quickly, Robinson, McBride, 11, and a future first. It's not terrible. Seems plausible. You could, I mean, you could take 11 and the future first and move up if there's someone you like in this draft. Yeah, and then you're getting three young guys back who all have potential to be, at the very least, role players on a good team. Yeah, I think quickly could be a starter, but I don't know if I want him leading my offense every possession. Yeah, if I'm 
like rebuilding and we're just going to kind of start all over, then I'd be fine with it. But if we're going to be a competitive team, yeah, I don't think quickly is ready to start just yet. And then Rudy and Mitchell Robinson, that's a little bit redundant, but it's a well, lot I of think redundant. <laughs> a lot of these packages are under the assumption that Gobert would be moved as well. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not locked in on one of them coming back. I still think there's a good chance they're both gone. All right. Give me Next the others. package here. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gay for Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. Now, it could also potentially Whoa. be Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry. Could be either of those. Why would they want Lowry? They wouldn't. It would be to make the salary match. They'd probably move him somewhere else. You, like, that's too much of a discount. That's just too much of a discount. Wow, I'm just looking at Tyler Hero thinking that he might be like close to that level. He's not a he's not a starter to me. I mean, not right could, now. Well, he could be, but and he's also still in his early 20s. And I'm looking at Donovan Mitchell, and this guy's plateaued the last couple of years. Like, we're not seeing the guy that was dropping 50 points in the bubble. This is a guy dropping 23, 24 points a game and not playing any defense. Not that efficiently either, but I'm still high on him. Still- I mean, I am too. There's still a lot of untapped potential, but I don't think this guy has the same value that he did two years ago when he was super young, still on his rookie deal, and he was putting up these crazy stat lines where people are going, could this be like one of the next guys? You know, I think that that's kind of passed now. It's like, yeah, maybe he has a few more all-star appearances down the road, but I don't think he's going to be, you know a face of a franchise that wins three or four rings. Yeah. He's not Devin Booker, but he's better than Desmond Bain. I agree. Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in between there. Uh, next package that I've got, Colin Sexton, Isaac Okoro, Chetty Osman, number 14, and a future first for Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gay. Sexton, or Okoro, Chetty, 14, future first, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gay. That, see, I might do that deal. That's just, that sounds like a way better package to me than Hero and Lowry. Yeah, it probably is, but I think that Hero's better and has more potential than any of the guys you're getting back in that Cleveland trade. agreed there. I still like Sexton. I think I think he's better than people make him out to be. And he didn't get to play this year. So it's like, what really is he right now? He put up 24 points a game uh, the season prior to this one. Let's remember that. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, I'm going to rattle off the last couple here. And if any of these jump out at you, let me know and we can stop and dive into them. Donovan Mitchell for Miles Bridges in a sign and trade. One of their first, either 13 or 15. And then an additional future first. So Miles Bridges, we'll say 15 and a future first for Donovan Mitchell. Huh. You can just give me a yay or nay. We don't have to go too I, deep I like it. it. I don't even know if they would need to throw in the other first. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. I'm, now I, we're on to something. I put a premium on the wings. Although he did just post an Instagram story <laughs> with a double cup and a joint. That's not yeah. going to fly in Salt Lake City. No, no, God, no. Jeez, you would be crucified for that there. 
Next one here with the Kings. Davion Mitchell, Dante DiVincenzo, and a sign and trade. And then the number four pick for Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gay. Davion Mitchell. DiVincenzo, number four for Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gay. Well, that's the deal I'm taking. If you're giving me the number four pick and I can get Jaden Ivey, see ya, Donovan. Bye. All right. I think also it helps too. I mean, not that you necessarily think Jaden Ivey is going to be better than Donovan Mitchell, but the fact that you get him for four years on a rookie deal is a lot more enticing than getting Donovan Mitchell until he's in his late 20s making 30 plus mil a year, you know? Yeah, we're going to talk about the Kings, a team who has a playoff mandate. I think Aaron Fox and Donovan Mitchell, it would get them closer than Davion. Um, Who did you say? Uh, Would it be Davion and Davion DiVincenzo and a rookie? So I'm with you. That's why I think that they would potentially do that because they're so stupidly hungry to win now. I just, yeah, there's no telling what the Kings are going to do, and we will get there. Last couple ones here. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you got more. Yeah, man. I was deep last night. When I told you <laughs> two hours I was prepping on these teams, it was deep. All right. Other ones here. So just a possibility. Would Dallas potentially sign and trade Brunson and include a bunch of future picks and pick swaps for Donovan Mitchell? Because if you aren't potentially going to bring him back anyway, and you could just add Donovan Mitchell and go into the tax and Cuban's cool with it. Hell, why not? If they could do that, yes. Yeah. I don't know how realistic it is. I'm sure it's probably like a 0.01% chance, but... No, and I think they... Maybe they'd rather just bring back Brunson on 25 mil a year. Four for 100. Really? I feel like at that point, you're already in the tax. You're already paying a bunch of money. It's like, who would you rather have, Brunson or Mitchell? Probably Brunson on a cheaper deal. And but if you're already in already the tax and it's a five, six mil difference, uh, nah. I think I'd roll the dice with Donovan, man. I think I would. I think he okay. gives you an extra level of explosiveness and creation that raises the Brunson ceiling just a doesn't more. have. Exactly. Brunson is much safer, much higher floor. Donovan Mitchell and Luca could be a fucking disaster. <laughs> There's a chance they play really well together and all of a sudden they're a powerhouse in the West. Hope Donovan's all right being the second guy there. Well, I mean, a few of these packages, he might wind up being the second guy. I think even if he were to go to like Cleveland, he's probably the second guy. That'd be interesting. All right. Yeah. Last one. This is maybe the best one. Oh, best for last. Luke Kennard, Zubak, Terrence Mann, and BJ Boston. All of them. And then any remaining future first the Clippers have for Donovan Mitchell and Wancho. That's a lot of depth for the Clippers who are going to try to be winning a title next year. It is, but when you look at it a little bit deeper, Zubak is pretty irrelevant. Hartenstein won that job. I don't think Zubak's going to be playing heavy minutes in the playoffs for them next year. And so Luke Kennard, yeah, you know, gave them good minutes, but when you have PG and Kawhi, do you really need Luke Kennard in crunch time? I don't know, but I think Donovan Donovan Mitchell would give you more. I think Donovan Mitchell would give you more. And if you do get him to buy in and put the effort in on the defensive end, he's four times the defender Luke Kennard is. So I'm looking at that. And then with man, I think if you were to get 
Wancho back, you fill some of those minutes. Same with Zubak. Not that it's the same type of role. Or maybe you try and get Rudy Gay back in that deal, and he can be another wing that fills some minutes for you. But when I look at the Clippers roster, I think if you've got PG, Kawhi, and Donovan Mitchell... The other guys around the edges don't matter a ton. I mean, you've got Morris there. You still got Covington there. You've got Norm Powell there. Like, there's a lot of depth, and they'd have a pretty freaking elite seven or eight man rotation. Yeah, and the, and they're a team that would be attractive to vets trying to go get a ring if they had three stars and absolutely Donovan, PG, and Kawhi. They'd be able to fill out the roster. I think if they made that trade, I'd consider picking them in the West next season. Yeah, that's a good one. I'll give you that. But all right. all right, let's let's finish it here. My ultimate answer for what to do is find a coach that gels with Donovan, trade Gobert to make him happy. Okay. And try to rework the defense a little bit. I mean, you're you're gonna do that anyway if you're moving on on from Gobert. That's yeah, and on from Snyder as well. I think it's going to be an entirely different right. defensive mindset. And yeah, I could see that working. Then do you think, you know, running back with everyone else, Clarkson, Bogey, Royce O'Neal, Mike Conley, all those guys? Or do you think maybe they'd make some other moves around the edges? I don't know, try and get a little more dynamic or a little younger? Yeah, and I think you'd do that with the Gobert package. You try okay. to get You try to get a better wing defender, but that's what I would do. Your answer is that. move on from both, blow it up. I think I'd blow it up. I mean, I just look at the rest of the West and you got the Clippers coming back at full strength and the Nuggets coming back at full strength next year. I mean, shit, why would I think we could even be a top six or seven seed? Especially if Memphis and Phoenix play like they did this year in the regular season. Yeah, good yeah. luck. They might right. be in the play-in. Let's go to the San Antonio Spurs, a team that... To be honest with you, I really don't know what they've been doing the last few seasons. They don't seem like they have much of a sense of direction. Greg Popovich is going to be stepping down sooner than later. Yeah. This is a tricky one, but I think they have some players on the roster that they could move and bring Mm -hmm. in a guy like DeAndre Ayton. I think they are the perfect team for an Ayton deal. And you would send Jakob Pertl... Is this on your list? I wrote time to package a few of the young guns for the next unhappy good player like Aiden or maybe even Donovan Mitchell. Okay. Now, Donovan and DeJounte Murray would be interesting. They'd be fun. They would be fun to watch. Yeah, but I'm having a hard time thinking of something there. I got something for you. Don't worry. Okay. Well, I'm looking at Aiden. I think that's the perfect fit for him. Murray's 25. I I really like him. Yes, he is a little limited in terms of creation, but he's so good at it's everything. a lot else. better. Yeah. I mean, he's a dime dropper, and I think if the jumper gets more consistent and he can stretch defenses out a little bit more, yeah, he's going to be at that next level where he might even make some all-star appearances over the next few years. I think Aiden would be really good there also from not even an on-the-court fit and off-the-court fit. I think a team like San Antonio is exactly what he needs. And not that he didn't buy in and work hard with Phoenix, but I feel like a little bit of a shakeup and going to a new home where they're Patriots-esque to a degree is going to get the most out of him and get him to lock in a little bit more and maybe get him to shut down the video game console before 4 a.m. 
that and he would be the number two option for sure. Maybe even the number one. I mean, I mean yeah, him and DeJounte in the pick and roll would be the go-to offense for sure. Yeah, he definitely wouldn't be disappointed in the number of touches he's going to get there. I think, it sure. would, I think it'd be a great move, and you could probably keep Keldon Johnson, Primo. Um, I mean, those are the two guys I like the best outside of Murray there. Who do you have going back to Phoenix then? I think or it's, would this be just signing Aiden outright? I think you'd you'd want to try to send Pirtle back. Yeah, but Pirtle ain't getting it done, brother. Vassell. Phoenix is going to get a better off. Ah, Vassell, okay, he would sweeten it a little bit. But I think it's going to have to be either Keldon Johnson, Vassell, Primo, one of those guys will have to be in there. Yeah, Pirtle, Vassell, Romeo Langford, I think that could get you pretty close. Yeah, that could probably start the conversation. And then they've got three first-round picks at 9, 20, and 25. Yeah. So drop one of those in, and then maybe we're talking. Phoenix yeah, doesn't have one this year. They sent it to OKC. So if you get a center who is pretty solid defensively and going to make a lot less money than Aiton, I think that I think that's advantageous to what you're trying to do there. I'm with you. You're trying to re-sign Cam Johnson. Like you want to make it work. We'll and- see if Sarver will do it. But yeah, absolutely. We want to free up some space here and. Yes, if you lose eight and you want to make sure you get a good defensive center that can stay on the floor in the playoffs. And then you also want to get, you know, some assets, some young guys, because we're running out of those. Yes, you are. But uh, what do you what do you have for me? So I disagree a little bit. I've kind of had that thought process on the Spurs the last couple of years of like, what are they doing? And last night when I really looked, I mean, they've got 40 million in cap space. The only guy that they're going to have to think about re-signing is Lonnie Walker. And if they do re-sign him, you're probably not paying him a ton of money. Like, I'm thinking 12, 13 mil a year most with what he's shown off his rookie deal. He's not going to be getting a huge bag. And then you've got your three first-round picks at 9, 20, and 25. So part of me thinks maybe you even stay the course with your young guys if you don't go trade for like an Aiton or a Donovan Mitchell or someone else that's or young. Or try to sign him out, right? <laughs> Right. They're not going to go after some aging superstar or any BS like that. They're going to stay young. And I like that. And I think that you could maybe package nine and 20 or nine and 25 and try to get up to that like five, six range where you could maybe snag a Jaden Ivy or a Shaden Sharp. Yes. Someone like that, that you can pair with DeJounte Murray. And now you have a backcourt of the future. And holy shit, if you're able to get Aiton or someone like that through free agency or a trade too, then you're really cooking and you got a nice young core there and you're still set up pretty nice cap wise for the next few seasons. So, and you'd keep a draft pick. I mean, you know I don't think you have to use nine twenty and 25 to move up. You know, who's really Spursy in this draft class who and would fit Johnny Davis Keegan Murray. Oh, Keegan Murray would be an incredible fit. I think he would be awesome next to Pirtle. And then you That's kind of what they're missing, too. A dynamic four that can create his own shot. Who can score, shoot, sp- space the floor for them, and defend pretty well. And Do a everything- little playmaking, too. That's an underrated yeah. part of his game. Everything I've heard on him is how humble he is, how... He's still really hungry to get better. He's a dog, man. If there's one guy that I want to bet on as a surefire deal to be in the league for over 10 years, it's him. Yeah, he's going to be good. It's just, what is his ceiling? That's the only reason he's not going top four. Yep. 
I think his floor is 20 minutes a night, a guy that can absolutely defend and knock down open shots minutes. in the playoffs. 30 That's minutes. his floor. Uh, like, I'm saying if worse comes to worst, he that'd be is a, a, That'd be a really bad outcome. <laughs> I don't think it'd be that bad if you take him at seven or eight and he winds up being your sixth or seventh best guy and he gives you 20 good minutes, you know, in the playoffs. Like, I think you can live with that. I think that's the floor. Now, I think the ceiling is all-star level, not like perennial all-star going to be in there every year. But I think this is a guy that could make four or five all-star appearances. Okay. Yeah, that'd be a good fit. I don't think he'll be there be at awesome. nine. He but will not be. They would be there six or seven. Yeah, and they have the ammo. The other thing that I like them to do is go after Miles Bridges in free agency. Mm. And I think you probably just say screw it and you offer him a max. And you just put the ball in Charlotte's court and say, Are you gonna match it or not? You willing to go all the way? Because we got the cap space and we'll do it. And then there you get your dynamic four. So maybe it's not Keegan Murray in the draft. Maybe then you can go get a guard or you got some more options. But I think having him as, you know, a big wing that can play the three or the four, it'd be a big pickup for them. That would be. That probably takes you out of the eight and sweepstakes. But yes, unless you get him through trade, then it's still possible. Yeah, but a core of DeJounte, Primo slash Keldon Johnson, Bridges, Keegan Murray, Pearl. I don't think they would go get Keegan Murray. Well, yeah, maybe. Oh, I think they could for sure play together. I think they could. I think it gets a little bit redundant with Keldon Johnson, Murray, and Bridges. But, I mean, the NBA is so positionless. Look at Boston. Small ball lineup. They're long. They're they're a problem on defense because of that length. I think it could work. I mean, I guess you could play Keldon Johnson at the two, Bridges at the three, and Keegan Murray at the four. It could work. So, yeah, I like that. Okay, if they stay at nine, realistically, who do you like them to take? Because my notes are obviously would take Murray if he's there, and then I have a list of guys who I would take if he is not. So what do you like them to do at number nine? Okay, agree with Keegan. I think Dyson Daniels is interesting. Yep, he was the first guy I listed. Yeah, it gives him versatility. Shaden Sharp, obviously, super high floor. Yeah, he's not going to be there, though. Yeah, you're probably right. If he's still there at like eight, someone's going to move up for him. I do think there's a chance Matherin is there. I would probably take him higher. He would be a great fit. Him and Dyson Daniels were my first two. I I like Sohan, but I don't know if he's going to give them enough offensively. And I think they need I think they need more scoring. I agree. I don't know if you can play Sohan and Pirtle together and score enough to win in modern NBA games. I don't know if his shooting is good enough. I'm with you there. I have seen him mock to the Spurs, though. I've seen that. I've seen him up at the number nine spot, creeping into the top ten on some mocks this week. And then, like, a lot of the guys I like at, at that spot of the draft are shooting guards, and that's just that's the one spot where they have a lot of guys who one of them needs to step up and win that job. So I completely agree. Yeah. I I don't know if I'm ready to take another one, but no, I think if I take a guard, it's gotta be someone that can handle the rock and be a nice compliment to DeJounte Murray, where they can play one and two, you know, go off each other. Each of them can play on or off ball. I don't think it can be a guy that's like just a straight two. That's a shooter or anything. Although that's kind of what Matherin is. I just like his upside. Uh, 
I think he's a little bit more of play a handler three. and creator than like a straight two. And yeah, he's big. He's like six six, six seven. He could play the three. I think he's versatile. I think he can do a little bit of everything. But one guy that I would consider looking at, he's kind of a long term project. Usman Jang. I watched a lot of tape of his this weekend, and I was way more impressed than I thought I was gonna be. I've only seen a little bit. I hadn't gone very deep and I looked more into his numbers and watched more tape. And I think he's got a ton of potential. And I think that he can handle it in the pick and roll. And with his length and athleticism, if he gets the three ball to start falling, he could be dangerous. Like he's got a Giannis type build and skill set where I'm not comparing him to him and saying he's going to be Giannis. But if he were to develop like some people think he could be, he's got all of the tools physically and I mean, with his game to be a powerhouse in the NBA. I mean, very low floor, but very high ceiling. Yeah, he's a good facilitator at 6'9". I- I'm with you there. And if there's any team who is going to go off of the consensus board and do something like that, it's the Spurs, for sure. They took Primo 12 last year. I, d- I don't see any world where that would surprise me. They take him at 9. All right. Where do you think he goes realistically? Like what's, what's your ballpark for him? Cause I've seen him everywhere from as high as eight on mocks to down in the twenties. I would say probably nine to 20. Okay. I think I have him at 14 right now on my big board. So that's right about where I'm at too. All right. So are we on the same page with the Spurs. Yeah, we are surprisingly. Not buttonheads like the Jazz. If you, yeah, if you can get a star and free agency, do it, um, and then use your picks to maximize your roster. Yeah, right. Absolutely, I do think that um, they could potentially package nine, twenty, and twenty-five, and I don't know, maybe go after the fourth pick from the Kings. Do you think that would get it done, or they'd have to throw in a player too? I don't think the Kings would do that. Okay. I like Jaden Ivey too much. (laughs) Okay. Um, One other thing that I forgot to throw out there, my potential Donovan Mitchell Spurs package. It would be packaging number nine, Keldon Johnson, Josh Richardson, and then probably either 20 or 25 for Donovan Mitchell. Say that again. Keldon Richardson. Number nine. And then probably throw in 20 or 25 as well. That's a pretty good deal if you're Utah, I think. I think it is as well. I don't really think it would make a ton of sense for the Spurs, but. Yeah, I don't either. But all right. On to the Kings. Let's do it. So the story with them is they need to make the playoffs. They have a GM um, in the last year of his contract. He has one job get to the playoffs. I'm not sure that that's what your answer is going to be though. Is that what you're doing? I mean, I would love to blow it up and make a shit ton of moves, but they're not gonna, you know, if it were me, I'm trading Sabonis. I'm trading De'Aaron Fox. I'm going nuclear because I know I can't win right now. So let's get younger and let's get every asset we can, but they're not gonna, they're going to go try and compete in the stacked West, probably be right at 500 or below make the play in and get knocked out and miss the playoffs. But for them, I think it starts at number four. I think that's what they're focused on. 
I don't think they're looking at any big trades like Fox or Sabonis, nothing like that. I mean, especially since they just brought Sabonis on. I think they feel like they can win with a core of De'Aaron, Davion, and Sabonis. I don't really agree. <laughs> yeah, throw Barnes in there too. Uh, I think he'd be a great piece to start with, shipping off to another team to get younger and get some assets. I think you could get maybe a, a mid-late first-round pick back for him and some potential deal for a win-now team, but they're not going to. So I'm looking at number four, and I've actually heard some interesting buzz that the Rockets are looking at Ivy and seriously considering pairing him with Jalen Green and locking themselves in with the most dynamic, exciting backcourt in the league. And then you got Kevin Porter Jr. coming off the bench, and you're kind of set with your guards. And I don't hate that for the Rockets. And if I'm the Kings, I'm salivating at that because, number one, it means I'm going to get a good shot at probably Paolo, maybe Chet. I don't think Jabari would be there. And then I'm also thinking, hey, if I don't love Paolo or Chet and I liked Ivy anyway, well, if Ivy goes three, the value for number four is going to skyrocket because teams will trade damn near twice as much to go get Chet or Paolo as they would Ivy. I mean, those top three just have a whole another level. We don't know how it's going to shake out. That's true. I'm starting to read a lot that Orlando's locked in and keen in on Jabari. So I think we're pretty close to that one being almost a done deal. Okay. Yeah. But those are just my thoughts of the number four pick. I mean, if Chet or Paolo are there, I'm taking them. And if not, I think, I mean, it's definitely Ivy or Shaden Sharp. I just don't know if they want to go guard with what they have already so i think that's where the mindset of let's just trade back to seven or eight get somebody else you know that we like just as much maybe like a keegan murray and then see if we can pick up some other picks or other assets yeah if they could move back a little bit and get someone to help what they have sure i i just don't really see that from the the teams below them but I think I would just take Jaden Ivy. Yes, I like D- Davion Mitchell, but I'm going to put Ivy in the starting lineup over him eventually. Him and De'Aaron Fox. If we're talking the most athletic backcourt in the league. Yeah, they're up there. That's probably your answer. I think I, I believe in Ivy's shooting. He didn't shoot a great his freshman year, but he did pretty well uh, his sophomore year. I think you just got to take the best player on the board. And that's him for me. Yeah, I think you do go best player if you stay there. Absolutely. And for me, I'm kind of leading towards Shaden Sharp right now, but it's one of the two. And I think if you're that worried about Davion and De'Aaron Fox and you're so confident in them and worried about clashing or whatever it is, hey, if they're both that good and you get a third guard that's so good that you want to start him too and you got a problem of we got three guards worth starting and we don't know what to do, that's a much better problem to have than the problems that you've had for the last decade plus as a abysmal franchise. So if it means that you've got to bring in Sharp or Ivy off the bench their rookie year, so freaking be it, man. There are worse problems you could have. I can tell you what, Shaden Sharp is not starting his rookie year. <laughs> There's zero chance. I don't know, man. I don't know. He is the biggest X factor in this draft, and I think there's a chance that he kills it in summer league and he walks into a bad team and starts right away. No, zero chance. Um, but it, What he, odds would you give me on that? Just curious. That he starts? Yeah, we'll say that he starts at least a chunk of his rookie season. Well, if it's like OKC tanking at the end of the year, that doesn't count. I think... 
the odds of him starting for a team that's like still trying to win games, I would say. I mean, yeah, on a playoff team, he's not going to start, but I could see him getting drafted by Portland, beating out on Fernie Simons for the two guard spot. What? Like, I don't think that's Bro. insane. I like Simons. This guy is getting top five buzz for a reason. Like, there's clearly a ton of potential there. Simons took a long time to figure it out, and he's a beast. He's going to get he's $100 really million. Dollars. He probably will, but I wouldn't rule out Sharp being really fucking good, man. Not in your I mean, one. Six, he didn't six even and a creator with a strap. So what? Kyrie didn't play at Duke. How's that any different? He played two games Kyrie with a broken the foot number and one the draft. Pick. That's a different story. We knew he. I we think knew Shane Sharp best. could be in number one contention if you didn't have the three bigs at the top of this draft. Like I think other drafts, he would have been number one conversation. Yeah, I'd give you ten to one odds. He he plays. Oh, I would take that. <laughs> I would take that. Let me see. Let me just that pull up the draft make order sense here to make for, sure. Uh, that wouldn't make sense for the Rockets. Know. He would start. Okay, Rockets. He'd start. Maybe Pistons. He's starting. Pistons, you're going to have Cade, Sadiq Bay, and Shaden Sharp. Those are going to be the three guards. Probably you Killian Hayes. You're defense. crazy. Playing defense. You're crazy. Maybe to start the year, but Sharp's taking that job at some point. I feel confident in that. And then I look at the Pacers, probably not unless they move off Brogdon and go full tank mode. Then, yes, I expect him to start. And then Portland or the Pelicans, probably not. But Portland, I could maybe see it. Like definitely I said, not. I could, definitely not. I could New see Orleans. him stealing the job from Simons and then turning Simons into like a sixth man. It's not going to happen right away with Portland. But. Simons was putting up thirty a game. You're crazy for that. Um, they were losing by forty a night. Like he was getting a million shots, man. Like he was impressive. But let's not act like a lot of that was meaningless. Is there anyone you think they could move on the roster to improve this year? To improve this year? Not really, no. For the most part, they have guys that I feel like are kind of like, hey, let's trade them now to get young assets back. Like, I don't think you're going to trade Harrison Barnes and get better, you know? I don't really think that you're going to trade, like, even a Rashawn Holmes and get better. I just don't see it. I think those are win-now guys. If it were me... I would be willing to trade every single person except probably Davion Mitchell. A cosign, thousand percent. Yeah, I'm already picking up the phone, making outbound calls on De'Aaron Fox, without a doubt. But unfortunately, they don't have the same mindset as us. They think think they can win now. Well, yeah, you got guys working for their job, so that's what it is for the Sacramento Kings. Anything else on them? No, I mean they've got. 108 mil on the books for next year after their draft pick they're going to be about capped out i just don't see i mean their guys off the bench are going to be alex lynn trey lyles mo harkless terrence davis and chemezi metu like ah i don't see them picking up any great additions on like a mid-level exception or veteran minimum either i feel like guys they're going to sign for one of those usually go to a better team where they can win yeah, I'm with you. All right, Jackson, I have three prospects I wanted to get your opinion on because mine has changed a little bit over the last couple of weeks on them. Okay. Let's let's end it here. Rapid fire. Just give me what you think, and I'll, I'll kick you a number, a draft slot. Tell me if you would take them higher or lower than that. Perfect. Okay. 
Johnny Davis, nine. God, that's right at the number where I'd look at him. I think I have him on my big board at 10 right now. So, yeah, I think nine, I'd pull the trigger. That's the number right there. You're a fan of his. I wouldn't say like I'm going to go trade up for him, but yeah, if I'm the Spurs and he's best available player, I'd be excited to pick him up. I think he's a good defender. I think he's a good creator. I think he's big enough where he's pretty switchable at 6'5", pretty strong. So yeah, I'm liking Johnny Davis. I think he could play the one or the two, and I think he's someone that's going to be a good team defender and a good on-ball defender as well. Yeah, I'm... I don't know. He's kind of like Keegan Murray. Like, what is his ceiling? But I do think sure. he's going to be damn good. And he's, he could be one of those guys who are like, why didn't he go higher? 100%. Like, when he was talking about, you know, or when he was talked of as being a potential top five pick midway through the season. There was a reason for that. Exactly. Exactly. I'm with you. I think he could be a guy that we look back on and go, why was he like at 11 and 12 on everyone's big board? So, right. In yeah, the- I agree. The load he carried at Wisconsin was crazy. He had it's to insane. do everything. He's a capable catch-and-shoot guy. He's going to play defense really well on ones and twos, maybe even threes, I think. I think he's going to be a damn good player. So, yeah, I'm How with you. How high would you take him? Seven? Would you I take think... him at seven? Yeah. Like, let's let's see who's on the board. But I think he would be a pretty good fit next to Dame. I agree. And at one point I had him mocked at seven, but he's just continued to fall down everyone else's mocks and there's no positive news coming out about him. So I've started to slide him down a little bit on mine too. I mean, not that I'm following everyone else, but I just don't see him up at seven on anyone else's mock anywhere anymore. Hell, even at even to the Pistons or Pacers. Like, I think he could, he'd be great next to Cade and he'd be good next to Halliburton. So, like, any one of those outcomes, I think I'd probably be okay with. All right, the next one, Jaden Hardy out of the G League. This was a top three recruit, I believe, um, going into his G League year. Tough setting for him there. Yeah. 15. Higher or lower? Do you look at my notes before this? I've got him as the 15th player on my big board, and oh, wow. I would take him there. I would take him there. It's going to depend on if somebody fell, you know, like if Sohan or someone like that sitting there. Yeah, I'm probably going to go with him. But if none of the guys that I'm in love with fall to me, I would absolutely take Hardy at 15. And I think when you look at him, look at what happened to Kaminga last year. Okay, this guy was supposed to be a lock to be a top five pick. And all of a sudden he falls down to eight because he didn't just go crazy in the G League. And Hardy struggled a little bit more than him. He's also a 6'4", two guard. So I think with his G League struggles and his size, yeah, he's taken a fall. But I don't think it's warranted as big of a fall as it has been. Like, let's not forget that a year ago this guy was thought to be a lock to be in the top five. And I also think back like Zaire Williams, look what happened to him and how much he fell. He looked mm-hmm. just fine with Memphis. I mean, he contributed in the playoffs. He fooled me. So I'm trying to be a little bit more aware of some of these big time high school recruits that just have one bad season. And then all of a sudden their stock nosedives like his shooting numbers weren't great. It was mid 30s. And then from three, it was sub 30. It was like 29%. Kaminga's numbers were not good either. And I still think he put up solid numbers when I mean, he was putting up like 17, seven and six or something like that. So it wasn't like he was useless out there and hurting his team. He found ways to contribute. And I think he's someone that on his career, 
I'd almost say he's a lock to put up 15 points, five rebounds and five assists. I mean, even when you look at the bad shooting percentages in the G League and you look at his high school numbers, he's a guy that rebounds well as a guard and he's a guy that can create and is able to find open guys. So I like him. I think I'd be happy to take him just outside the lottery. Yeah, he's he's actually rising up my board quite a bit. We mentioned the bad shooting numbers, but his free throw percentage, 88%. That's huge. That bodes extremely well for his future. And yep. when you contextualize it, heard the stat, nobody on his team shot over 30% from three uh, on the G League Ignite. You're asking him to be the number one option to create looks for others. No one yeah, can shoot the ball around him. It was a terrible setting for a guy. I think you have to be careful and factor that into your evaluation because a lot of guys like Jason Tatum, I think he was like 32% from three at Duke. And then he comes to the league. He and did not like, show much of a three ball at all. I mean, he was mid range, right. even like post work, back you down, turn around, fade away stuff. Yeah, we see it take time for these these guys in terms of efficiency. I think he could be a star, 20-point-per-game guy, and we could be wrong about him if we don't have him in the lottery. I agree. I think he's someone that could very well go 10 or 11. You know, there's going to be that team that sees him like Memphis saw Zaire last year, and they go move up to get their guy. And I think draft night, there's going to be a lot of people spitting out their water going, well, this team's a bunch of idiots. Why would you ever move up that eye for him? What are you doing? And then next thing you know, he's making an all-rookie team or something. So, yeah, I'm with you there. I'm big on him. All right, last guy, much lesser known than the first two. It is Dalen Terry out of Arizona. He's a 6'7 guard, jack-of-all-trades. Yeah. 22, higher or lower? Lower. I'm not taking him in the first round, probably. Now, the more I watched the tape, the more I started to get it and understand why you asked me to look into him. I'm skeptical because he didn't pop when I watched Arizona this year. Like, he's a guy I really had to look into. Like, it took me a second. Like, who does he play for? Granted, I wasn't balls deep into college basketball this year like I normally am, but this is a guy that did not catch my eye. And as a sophomore, he only put up eight points a game. Now, he also did have five rebounds and four assists, which shows you that he can hit the glass a little and, and he all can defense. do some playmaking. Packed off all defense. That's where I'm getting. Okay. The defensive end stuff. That's what really started to impress me. And I see a little bit of Herb Jones-like potential oh, no. in him. Is that what you had as a comp for him? No, I just love it. I don't know how you... Oh. Like I thought, I thought bad stuff was coming. I was gonna be like, "Oh no, you missed the assignment." This is a guy that's that's gonna gonna tank. He's gonna be no good. Um, no, I think that's a lot of where his value could come from, and he could carve okay. a niche early on because of that. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna be a guy that requires a bunch of shot attempts. So yes, it's concerning to see the numbers be so low as a sophomore. But on the flip side. He was pretty efficient, and you need guys on a team like that that aren't going to be taking over 10 shots a game. You need your Draymonds, your Herb Jones, the guys that are just going to knock down an open three every once in a while or penetrate and finish layups. So other concern with him, aside from the numbers in college, his three-point shot is so 
freaking slow, man. He's got to be wide open to knock him down, and he brings it down below his waist. Like He does this thing where he'll catch it in the pocket and then brings it back down by his hip and then brings it back up to get into a shooting motion, and that's fixable. So not the biggest red flag in the world, but I did not like seeing that. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be like a big-time scorer ever in his career, but I'm a huge fan. I think he will be a contributor. If he lands in the right spot, it could be a Herb Jones-type impact situation. Yeah. And all the intel on him is that his intangibles are amazing. He lit up He lit up practice. He brings the energy every day. In terms of personality, the stuff I'm hearing is similar to Scotty Barnes. Not that extreme, because people love them some Scotty Barnes. But... He's yeah. the guy who will rise up this draft board this year because of that. So I could see that. Ma- I think the more and more on. film you watch, the more you get impressed. Cause the longer that I watched his highlight tapes, the more I was like, all right, I get it. Cause at first I started watching, I saw the three point shot. I was looking at his stats and I was like, Peter's reaching here. He's, <sighs> he's heard this name on some podcast. He's doing too much. But the longer I watched, I was like, yeah, I see some of that defensive potential being long, able to get into passing lanes and get out in transition, drop dimes, finish at the rim, make things happen. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. Kerr Creesa, uh, Arizona starting point guard got hurt at the end of the year he stepped in in the tourney, had 16 points their first game, uh, 17 against Houston. That's really when he caught my eye. I was like, who's who's this long guy just making plays and bringing all this energy to their team? Yeah. And then, yeah, I did start hearing his name. So I'm a fan. <laughs> All right. Well, he's definitely one to watch. I think Hardy is one to watch as well. I'm curious to see what happens with him. And then any other draft notes or any other finals notes, anything you're looking for or anything? Um, I'm interested in the Hornets coaching situation. Let's talk about that whenever they do make a decision. And yeah. one NBA note, Adam Silver is looking to make all NBA positionless, which is a Thank huge goodness. W. About time. Yeah. Also looking to shorten the season, I've heard. But don't care to get into that right now because that's a pretty controversial topic. Yeah. All right, let's do let's do Top Gun maybe next week because I might yeah, have go to go see, see it, it this week. Weekend. It's time now. Don't don't let Twitter make you think you're going to see the greatest movie of all time because it's not that, but it's really freaking good. Like probably movie of the year. I was just irritated because everything that I'd seen on Twitter and from what I heard from my friends, I legitimately walked in expecting to see one of the best movies I've ever seen. I thought it was immediately going to go into my top five and it was damn good. I was entertained. Should definitely be in movie of the year conversation, but I give it like a solid eight and a half out of 10. I was impressed, but I wasn't like sneaking into the theater next door to watch it again. So I'm curious what your take's going to be when you see it. All right. I, I don't go into the movies very often thinking it's going to be an eight and a half out of 10. This was my first time doing it in like forever. And I was pissed. I was like, I wish I would have just gone opening night with no expectations. But to be honest, yeah, I wasn't true. even going to go see it until I heard how much hype it was getting. So you've watched yeah, the first one, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. yeah. Yeah. Wrote a right. paper on it in college. Oh, wow. Big Top Gun guy. Big it, Tom Cruise no, guy. It was assigned. It was not even like up to me. Oh, so Professor Big Tom Cruise guy, Big Top Gun guy. I guess so. I should say. Yeah, girl. 
All right. Glad, glad I threw that in there. All right. <laughs> let's get out of here. Y'all know the drill. We'll be back most likely same time next week. Um, life happens though, you know, a little travel going on, but should be back this time next week. Y'all know the drill. Give us that five-star rating, tell a friend, and we appreciate the love. Peace.